Lord, we just thank you so much for Tim. We thank you for his leadership of this church. We thank you for the vision that he's had for this building the last however many years. Um, and Jesus, may you just help him. May you just guide him um, as he continues to lead. And as he brings the word tonight, um, may you just speak through him. Amen. We're thinking about, thinking about purpose, uh, why we are here, what is God's purpose for our lives on earth. And the psalmist um, alludes to it uh, in this psalm, Psalm 8. I'm going to read the whole of it. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what are mere mortals that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honour. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 4, what are mere mortals that you are mindful of them? Good question. What are mere mortals? What are you and I? How do we measure who we are, what we are? And of course, scientifically, we can. One of the talks later on in this series, the, the series, if you're new or visiting, uh, is uh, The Truth Shall Set You Free, Words of Jesus. We're, we're looking at elements of God's truth 
that makes sense of our lives today, purpose. But uh, in a few weeks' time, um, Barney Gilbert uh, and I, maybe one to others, we will just contribute into this idea that science and faith walk together like two feet in a, in a, as we walk. We need each of them. They don't undermine or contradict each other. Um, uh, and science is incredibly helpful. We, we can measure the worth of a human being scientifically. We are, for example, um, the equivalent of approximately 10 gallons of water. We're, like, uh, we're vessels that would hold 10 gallons of water. Uh, we have enough fat in our bodies for about seven bars of soap. We have enough carbon for about 7,000 pencils. We have enough phosphorus to tip 2,200 match heads. During the course of the average human life, whatever an average human life is, we will shed about 19 kilograms of skin. <laughs> I can go grosser. You go? Okay. During the course of the average human being's life, we have the capability of growing about two meters of nasal hair. So I'm about a meter and a half in, I reckon. Um, if you tot up, if you tot up all the elements that make us physiologically, it, it comes to about 47 pounds 90 pence. Although I gather Bill Bryson in his latest book about the, the wonders of the body, he, he, he sort of prices it at tens of thousands of pounds. But I think that's because some of the elements that go to make us up are really hard to source. And, and, and so he's calculated cost there. But actually in and of themselves, we, we, we don't amount to much. But you, you try telling that to the families of these predominantly, it appears, Vietnamese who were discovered in the lorry just this last week. Uh, holding the service today in shock and grief and mourning. They are touched to the core because they've lost someone who's worth way more than 47 pounds. A priceless. What is man, mere mortals, that you are mindful of them? How do we go about understanding that? How do we, how do we get to the bottom of our purpose and why we are here on earth when I was about 13 my granny gave me a Christmas present at Christmas time it's what you do and I opened it up and it was this box um, with sort of an intricate little pattern on the top and it, I kind of right <laughs> and actually the question that I wanted our answer then was not what is this box made of? Science, you know, I could have done scientific, scientific experimentation on, on the box. It would have told me that it was basically made of wood with elements of silver inlaid on the top. Uh, but I didn't want to know what it was made of. The key question for me is, what is it made for? What is this box? Why do you, Granny, deem it so special that you wrap it up and give it to me at Christmas? Unfortunately, Granny had kept the instructions. As a 13-year-old boy, I hadn't thought to consult them. And the instructions revealed that if you press the box at a certain place, this lid flips up. And inside the box are two perfectly made compartments that would take a pack of cards. It was a little box for two packs of cards. Thank you, Granny. <laughs> but I needed the instructions from the creator in order to make sense of the creation. 
And so it is with us and God. We ultimately, it's a core conviction of Christians that our lives will ultimately only make sense. We'll only really know what we are for, our purpose, if we align our understanding with that of our creator, if we seek God. What is our purpose? Essentially, we are created by God for God. We are created by God for God. When we seek his pleasure, at one and the same time, we find ourselves deeply satisfied. Or as John Piper put it in his book, Future Grace, he is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. When we seek to live according to the maker's instructions, we find deep satisfaction as we live out our purpose to his will and pleasure, as Paul writes to the Ephesians. So two things, two headings really for tonight. Our purpose can be summed up as, number one, to reveal his glory in our lives. And number two, to grow more and more into his likeness. To reveal his glory, I'll, I'll unpack what that means, what that looks like. And to grow more into his likeness. And hopefully I'll unpack how we do that. So firstly, to reveal his glory. This kind of follows on from Lydia's talk last week, and I really commend that if you didn't get a chance to hear it. Feels like years ago now, because it was delivered over in the mission hall. Who goes there? She was talking about being created in the image of God. And this idea of image and glory are closely linked. If you like, they're like two sides of the same coin or two perspectives on the same thing. Because image reveals or, or, or creates glory. Um, the, the idea is, is born by sort of pressure or impression or weight. That's where the root of the word that we use for glory comes from. You think of it in the olden days when a king uh, sealed a command or a letter or a decree and he'd seal it with wax. He'd get a blob of of hot wax from a candle and while it was still malleable, he'd take the the seal on his ring or he'd maybe have a separate seal and he he would bring to bear, he would press in his unique signature denoting his authority, his power, his rule, everything that represented him or her as a monarch and, and press everything that was kingly, monarchical, into the wax. So the, the weight of his glory became the image on the wax. And that's how when you pass that letter around, this is from the king, this is significant, this is important. Because the weight of his glory has borne an image in the wax. We are created in God's image. It means that he has, has kind of pressed his character, everything that is God, he has pressed into us. We, we talk about um, meeting someone, oh, they made a great impression on us. What it means is that there was something about their personality, their character, their charisma, uh, their gifts or ability, their wisdom or skill. There was something about that person that, that struck us, that, wow, they stood out. And we say they made an impression on us. 
That's a sense where they, it was something of their, if you like, their glory that, that, that pressed in on us and almost left a mark on our consciousness, on our mind, our heart, our experience and receptivity of them. Glory and image. Uh, every time it snows, there's a sort of blanket of snow uh, on the ground. And when you, when you walk out and make fresh footprints on the snow, you are effectively imparting your glory. The, the, everything that is you, including your, the, the weight of your skeletal structure, your flesh, your bones, everything that represents you is pressed into the snow. And that is uniquely your footprint there with the, the tread of your shoe or your boot. That, that footprint is yours. It, it bears, the snow bears the image of your glory. We are called, our purpose here on earth, our ultimate purpose. I mean, you know, you've got a whole load of things to do to, to this time tomorrow so, to, and for the, into the week and the rest of the year leading up to Christmas, the rest of your lives. All sorts of choices you'll make. And, and they're, all, they're your choices, where you live, what you do, what your hobbies are, who you'll share a house with, who you'll share a life with. All of those things are your choices. But all of them, they're undergirded by our ultimate purpose, which is in and through all these choices to reveal the glory of God in and through our lives. The, the impression that he makes on us to be reflected out to the world. I think the, the most potent example I can think of of image bearing and glory revealing is when I take a wedding service. I've had the privilege of taking a few of those uh, recently with uh, a number of you who are here. And it's that moment when the bride has arrived and is making her way down the aisle. And she looks stunning. Every bride looks beautiful, radiant. And as she walks down the aisle towards her groom, you as a congregation, if you imagine yourself at the wedding, you lose sight of the bride. She walks past you. You've glimpsed her glory, but she's walked past you. And all you can see is just a, a kind of human triangle of white. That's all you see. You, you've lost sight of her glory, her beauty, her, her splendor. And yet, what you see is the groom's face as he turns round and sees her for the first time that day. And you see in his face and in his whole body the radiant joy of his bride. Her glory is impressed upon his face and whole being. And as a congregation, you see that reflected back. He reveals the glory of the bride. thing it's why we have a rehearsal actually because uh, very often they can reflect to, uh, forget to smile so it's like in the rehearsal don't forget to smile when she comes oh, yeah, yeah. he's thinking about his speech and everything else she's beautiful okay yeah and on the day he gets it right that's how it is with us and God we are made to 
to, we are, we're so captivated by him that when the world looks at us, when other people look at us who don't yet know the beauty, the wonder of God impressed upon their lives, they look at lives where God's beauty, God's splendor, God's courage, God's wisdom, God's discernment, God's creativity, the, all the wonderful splendor of God has been impressed upon us and we radiate it. And as we, rate, as we make God look good in our lives, we find it deeply satisfies that sense of why we're here in the first place. Augustine's prayer, you have made us for your own and our hearts will find no rest until they find their rest in you. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Our purpose, undergirding everything else we do in our lives, our ultimate purpose is to reveal the glory of God. A couple of centuries ago, three centuries ago, the, uh, there was a, a meeting to, it was basically sort of to formulate a, a kind of creed, um, an order of priorities, a statement of faith, if you like. It's known as the Westminster Catechism. It's opening line. If you like, the number one priority, it starts with this. The chief end of man, forgive the non-inclusive language, but the chief end of man is to worship God and enjoy him forever. You could argue all the rest is details. The chief end of men and women is to worship God and enjoy him forever. To receive his glory, his impression on our lives and to reflect that back. It's what it is to live in the image of God. It's to receive him and reflect it back and out to those who don't yet know God. Because you just look at the stats, uh, children, uh, young people, so-called the missing generation, people won't hear about Jesus Christ. They don't come to church. They don't read the Bible. They don't know the Bible stories. The only living word that most people will encounter is your life and mine. It, it becomes imperative that we live out our purpose to reveal the glory of God. Second thing, our purpose is to grow more into the likeness of Christ. To grow more godly, we might say to keep it Trinitarian, to allow more of the life of the Spirit in and through us. To reveal his glory and to grow into his likeness. If we are going to reveal his glory, we'll need to be more like him. And this involves inhabitation, not just imitation. It's not that we try to be like God. I, Tim Stilwell, try to be like God, try to live like Jesus as Tim Stilwell. I won't do it. I'll fall short. The wonder and mystery of the Christian faith, the uniqueness of the Christian faith, is that God, through Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, lives in us. And in living in us, as we allow him, as we give him freedom and reign and authority, 
He lives through us in our actions, in our words. He soaks our thinking and thoughts. He, he weights our decisions and our choices and our priorities so that day by day we become more like him. Inhabitation, as we allow the Spirit of God to live in us, not just imitation. Um, just a quick name check on Cameron Blair. I saw him here earlier. Any other Kiwis? I'm ever so sorry, but I'm going to reference the rugby now. <laughs> you knew it was coming. <laughs> uh, I was, I, I mean, so I was watching the game yesterday, and um, I mean, what an extraordinary performance. But just in general, those international rugby players, are there any other athletes quite like them? Their speed, their control, but also their power. And with the super slow-mo now, you know, some of the, when there's a break in play, they go back and show a piece of the action. There was uh, Mario Itoje, there was a tackle, I can't, it was the, the big New Zealander with the beard. With his massive lock, he must be sort of 18, 19, 20 stone. Itoje just times that tackle. They call it a hit these days, and they're not wrong. He times that tackle to perfection. And this big, massive, burly Kiwi is knock back two or three meters and so I'm watching that and there's something in me that goes oh, I'd, I'd love to be able to do that <laughs> I mean, it'd be so cool just to be at the height of your game international rugby watched by millions and you just everything you've trained for it comes off and boof you flatten the kiwi should <laughs> 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 we act it out <laughs> Uh, it's so unfair, isn't it? Rugby and cricket. <laughs> Let's imagine I, I put on my England kit. Let's imagine that I think, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to emulate Itoje or, 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 or Courtney Laws, these awesome lot fours, Underhill others. I had an unbelievable game. What would happen if I put on my England kit and as Tim Stilwell now... Um, not even 12 stone I, I, I toddle onto the pitch and attempt to take out that Kiwi with the beard what's his name sorry I'm... Sam, Whitelock. Sam Whitelock what, what if I was to take on Sam Whitelock one on one take him out what, what, well let's not ask what would happen all I'd ask is would you please come and visit me in hospital <laughs> I, I would be out I'd be flattened if I tried to imitate Courtney Laws as Tim Stilwell. I don't stand a chance. But now, let's just, for the sake of the analogy, let's just allow our imagination to, 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 to run with it. Imagine Courtney Laws somehow, mysteriously, lived inside of me. <laughs> Supposing when I put on my kit, it's Tim Stilwell with Courtney Laws living inside of him. Then Sam Whitelock has got another proposition. Imitation, trying to be a Christian, and you'll fail. If any of us have tried from time to time, or slip back into trying to be a Christian in our own strength, you'll fail. You'll get mashed like I would, as Tim Stilwell, against uh, Sam Whitelock. But if I've got the spirit, the life, the power, the courage the wisdom, the conviction of God through Christ by his spirit living in me, 
sorry, I should have started that sentence with since, not if. Since I have the spirit of the living God living in me, that's an entirely different proposition. I can face life entirely differently. And that enables me to face life, including the tough times and the testing times, with, well, James, uh, one of the apostles in his letter, he wrote to the Christians saying, count it joy when you face trials of many kinds. Notice when you face. We will face tough times. And actually it's in the tough times that Christ becomes all the richer in me. It, it's easy to live life in the easy times. But actually the call in our lives is to, is to face the tough times and the testing times and allow Jesus to grow. It, it boils down to, uh, I promise I'd try and unpack how we do this. You decide. Christian life is, is a, basically a human divine cooperation. We, we cooperate with God. So you and I, we decide that I am going to live my life in a more godly way. I'm going to live my life that will reveal God's impression, God's glory, God's goodness in every aspect of my life when I'm sitting at my desk or when I'm working on that spreadsheet or I'm talking on the phone to a client or I'm changing a nappy or I'm down at the gym or I'm living with my housemates. Wherever and whenever, I'm going to decide However I think, speak, act, it will be godly. It will reveal the goodness of God. And as I decide that, I then trust that the Spirit of God who lives in me will enable me with his strength, power, insights to do what I've decided to do. And as I say, that's okay in the, when life is going well. But in the tough times or the testing times, that's when the Spirit of God is growing in me, rooting in me. Paul, uh, it's mainly Paul in the New Testament, it's over eight times in the New Testament, the phrase, make every effort, dot, dot, dot. Make every effort to live in peace with your neighbours. Make every effort to honour God in your finances and so on. Make every effort to keep in step with the spirit. It, it, it takes effort. It takes work. And as we decide to play our part in that effort of living a godly life, Christ grows in us. He is formed in us. And we become more godlike, which is our ultimate purpose, to reveal his glory by living our day-to-day -day lives more like him. That is ultimately and essentially why we're here and what we're about. So just two applications, one around rest and one around work, that enable exercises, if you like, that enable more of God to grow in us so that we live out our purpose as human beings. Rest. Sabbath. 
I'm, uh, I speak to myself. I'm, this is an area where I'm um, weak. But rest is, is more than, or it should be more than, simply the withdrawal from work. It's not just leaving the office, uh, closing down the computer, whatever one associates with one's work. It's not just a cessation of work. True rest, proper rest, Sabbath, is whilst letting go of work, it is deliberately and consciously pressing in to God. Now, I don't mean by that spending all day singing hymns and reading the Bible, although you could do far worse. But it, it's, about, it's about actually working hard at your rest, if that doesn't sound like a contradiction. And, and, and the thing I think I, I want to, I'm trying to challenge myself and I invite you into this challenge, is it, it's actually to work at being creative. So that you, you line your, the very sense of yourself with the creator who made you and purposed you. And just as he is creative, as we live in his creation, as part of his created creatures, so when we deliberately choose to be creative away from work, not that you can't be creative in work, but when we withdraw from work and just pursue creativity, it might be, for example, just to give yourself time to think. I'm told that the founder of a sort of vineyard movement, John Wimber, about once a month, he would just sit in a chair and, in inverted commas, do nothing. Kind of running this rapidly growing, became a sort of worldwide Christian movement. And once a month, he'd sit, and for the vast majority of the day, he'd, he'd just, he would just think. He just wouldn't do anything, just allow his thoughts to wander and meander and, and just see where they go. Some of us, we might be poets, uh, literacists, it's, it's about writing. Maybe you're actually good at illustrations, drawing, painting. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be just, just doodling. But, but allowing that part that has been created by us that often gets contorted and compressed and sort of consigned to the margins during work. It's kind of godly playtime. Maybe you love cooking or uh, creative stuff, making clothing or uh, woodwork. It's, it's kind of pottering in a shed. Uh, or on items, one or two of you got, I know you own or have access to, to boats. It's, it's fiddling, creating, improving, that kind of tinkering. Do that. What is it that creatively makes something in you that can sometimes shrink and parch come alive? It's part of Sabbath. And I think it, what it does is it, it connects us with the creator so that more of his glory comes out in the joy of play, of creation, of imagination. So in your weekend plans, and by the way, actually I think, you know, to, to seek out someone where you can have a, a creative, imaginative, wholesome conversation. So, you know, meeting someone for a cup of coffee, great. But if it's just to gossip and to moan and to, yeah, well... But, but can you have intentional meetups in the pub over a beer, kind of normal stuff, but that stimulate and spark creativity? Do we grow in the image of the God who creates and therefore 
and thereby we reveal his glory. That's Sabbath. And work, I was touching on this just a, a moment ago. Rick Warren in his book, um, Purpose Driven Life, good book, unfortunate title, but um, uh, it's about our purpose. And he, he says that, he just reminds us, that you, you know this already, God is far more interested in your character development than your comfort. I mean, just as a little sidebar, if you think about, and maybe you could do this creative thinking as part of your Sabbath, just to, to draw back from the kind of hurly-burly white noise of the world in which we live, social media constantly sort of pumping us images and adverts, someone has said that we, we get preached at through advertising and imaging over 3,000 times a day. And, and so much of that, if you, if you discern it, it seems to me, so much of that is about here's what you can do, here's where you should be, here's how you can spend your money, and so on, in order to save you time or to create more leisure, to make life easier. Would that be, would that be a fair assessment? Here's how you can cut a corner. Here's how you can get ahead. Here's how essentially everything can be easier with the implication that when we've dispensed of all the stuff you kind of got to do and pack it up, then you've got more time for leisure for fun for play but the new testament doesn't recognize life on earth here like that it it talks about tough times and testing times and and that it seems to me is where god grows us not on the mountaintops, although the views are wonderful. It's in the valley where character grows. It's in the tough times, in the troughs, in the depressions. Count it joy, James says, when you face trials. Because you know that tests and trials are essentially, James 1, 3, 2, 5, I think, a building character. So your work, if it's going really well at the moment if you are in work, and that could be a test in itself, but your work, if it's going really well at the moment, I virtually guarantee you in our fallen world, in bondage to decay, that sooner or later you will go through a tough time, a testing time, there'll be a colleague alongside who just niggles you and narks you, or there'll be a piece of work that is really testing, or a client is demanding an impossible deadline, uh, or you've got an impossible boss, or you've got an impossible set of circumstances, whatever it might be new family, and, uh, lack of sleep, and the other thing, not easy. When we're stretched thin, when it's tough, when we feel low, depressed. And that's when we become aware of Jesus. When we run out of our own steam and we we look to him and we remember that he in his short ministry was tested severely at the start of it 40 days fasting and then the enemy gets him at his weak points and at the end in the garden of Gethsemane oh father if it's possible to remove this cup of suffering from me please but not my will your will that wasn't an easy prayer that was tough and I seem to remember there were times in between as well. They picked up stones to stone him. That doesn't sound like a great day at the office. Jesus went through tough times. He knows the tough times and the tests and the trials that you're going through, I'm going through. 
And when we become aware of our tough times, we become aware that he also went through tough times. And it connects us. And something of him impresses on us and grows in us. You know what it is when you meet someone and you, you, you kind of, it's your first time and you, you're just having conversation. What you're really looking to do is to make connections. You're trying to find, is there an area we've got in common that we can press into, we can talk about, we can understand each other. We're looking to make a connection. Well, that's what we do in tough times. We, we connect with Jesus because he went through tough times and he knows what we're going through. And we can trust that we know that he knows. And when we know that he knows, then his life in us grows in us. We become more confident in him. We trust in him. And so we grow into the likeness of Christ as we allow more of him in and through us in the test time, tough times and the testing times. So don't run away from them. Don't avoid them. I mean, don't seek them out. But when they come, as come they will, you say, great. Here is an opportunity for the life of God to grow in me. Here is where my character is going to get developed and rooted and deeper. Here is where I am going to grow. I'm going to come out of this tough time. It's not going to be pleasant, but I will come out of it the richer for it because there will be more of God in me. And I and you will have fulfilled an element of your purpose here on earth to reveal his glory and to grow into his likeness. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Lord, our Lord, verse 8, how majestic is your name in all the earth. <laughs>